Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. A part of my identity is being an adoptee, being separated at birth from my original family and placed into foster care for two years before being adopted has significantly impacted how I see my place in the world. After connecting with the adoption community over a decade ago, I recognized the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? This episode was the most challenging to produce so far because it packs a punch with some of the very important people in my life. Everyone at different times over the last few weeks agreed to a recorded conversation with me about our journey together. Of course, time does not permit me to share those conversations in their entirety, nor would you be the least bit interested in all that chatter. I extend a heartfelt thank you to each loved one for taking the time and being public here on this podcast. You will hear from a cast member in the audio drama Meant to Be, Episodes 2 and 3. Lydia Born to Write Cook, the poet, who played three different characters. You heard me write three totally different people in my story. She shares her experience of being a part of the project at the final hour when an original cast member left me high and dry when we were ready to go into the recording studio. Because you came at the very end of when I needed an actor and fulfilled the role in three different scenes of the first act. So I just thank you so much for your willingness to to help me and to be so great. Because, you know, like I told you, your voice is so beautiful to me. Like, I love to hear your voice. I just remember you being so willing to come on board and read as Administrator 1 and Administrator 2 and, and Militia. I don't know how to be on there because I've never had anything like been a part of nothing this big. But the only thing I know how to do is really is share my truth. And I, I supported you because you supported me. I was a reflection of the kindness that you showed to me. I remember when it was like an idea for you. You know what I mean? Even for the book, this is a bless. Oh, I get emotional, melancholy for you. This is amazing. And then the people that you're going to help with your story Jennifer, oh my goodness. You know what the beautiful part is to me. This is your story. And to be a part of this and to witness you, you know what I mean? And to just know when you wanted to do the book and you had so many ideas. Oh, you did it. You did it. You did it. And not only for you, but for other people. That's awesome. Well, I thank you for that compliment. I like you write what you know about. For me to create a podcast about storytelling through the vision or eyes or the perspective of an adoptee, I, I had to first start with myself. Like how can I, in my mind, how can you ask other people to tell their stories before you first tell yours? And when I was telling someone I was a part of this, 
She said, my niece goes through that same struggle. She wants to know her people, but she doesn't want to let the lady that adopted her down. And the lady that adopted her feels bad about it. First of all, I love the storytelling. And there's nothing like the art of storytelling when it's attached to a true real life person. And then the triple beauty in it is that the real life person, you know them in real life. So it was it was really it was an honor and it was fun. I, what I loved, honestly, the most about this, you didn't ask me, to, but what I loved the most, everybody was about your story. Mm-hmm. And I've been in so many scenes in the same room, but everybody still had their own individual agenda. Lydia, with much clarity, explains how she approached playing three very different personalities, especially malicious character in the story. I invite you to listen in on our conversation. Each character represents a person, and people have different personalities. People have different vernaculars they use when they speak. And so my concern with with doing it was like I had to go from um, being an administrator who was really cold-hearted, didn't even realize it. Yeah. And then to um, the young lady, Militia. Yeah. And and she was a boss, basically. She was a right. trendsetter, a move maker. And so how do you go from somebody who's just a jerk and then to somebody <laughs> who's so caring, but still she's so strong, right? Yeah. And then you're listening to the emotion in between that and you just don't want to fumble up somebody's story. But when I was looking in there, the, first of all, the environment was wonderful. The studio was wonderful. The engineer made it so comfortable. Um, great. Charles is great. Yeah. Yeah. He made it comfortable. And then you had a great cast of people. Uh, What was really hard was can I pull off three characters from Dayton, Ohio, me being from Dayton. (laughs) And now I've been down in the South so long. People tell me certain words are sounding a little Southern. And so I was like, how do I get this cold administrator down and militia, and I forgot what's the what's the other person. So He's, you played uh, two administrators. So you played the one when Wanda was relinquishing me at um, birth, and then you played the administrator as a forty-something-year-old Jennifer trying to find yeah. out her records. Yeah. So kind gotcha. of yeah, those were those two administrators. They were kind of cold in different ways. Yeah, they didn't get it. And, you know, that that's another thing I was, uh, you know, nervous about because I know that my memory sometimes isn't my best friend. But thank God for the creativity because it makes up for that. And so I'm just excited for you, Jennifer, and I'm honored to have been a part of it. I remember when we I don't know where we, I can't tell you the eatery that we were at, but they're supposed to have this big old show and the guy. It flopped, basically. I think it was about three or four of us in there. And we were ordering something. And I literally remember, because I was kind of down about it. And I remember you saying, well, you just get that mic and you just act like this room is full of people. Because one day you will have a mic in a room full of people. I'll never forget those words from you. I got on that mic. And did it, and we took pictures, and we had fun. Like, it was a house full of people. Do you remember that night? I do. And, uh, yeah, you were always positive, man, and um, and encouraging. No nonsense. 
right? <laughs> but but full of personality though. People that know you know you. You got personality, but you are just a professional. This just popped in my head. I remember when I told you Militia is a white woman. <laughs> and <laughs> and I said I can't seem to find any white women actors. And I said, what do you think? Because I, I think it'll be cool. And, and you were like, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Because I never even thought, like, I just automatically thought, okay, Militia's white and we got to have a white act actor. Right. <laughs> I'm glad you had more confidence than I did because I remember asking you literally, like, you know, behind the scenes talk, like, I don't know what type of white woman they're right. going to think that I am I'm from Dayton Ohio like I have a, my own vernacular like right, I right. To, but I do remember when you shared it with me I did take it to the most high and I, and I was grateful and I said God you help me do this help me make her story phenomenal at least from where I'm sitting on the mic and I'll never forget that and it hit me you, that's being stereotypical because what does a white woman sound like anyway? What does a black woman sound like? Yeah, we, we do have our own. You can't say we don't have our own style and people are sound different, but people are different from all walks of life. And she, in order to had been the, to be the move maker that she made to help that law get into effect and had done all that groundwork and all that footwork, she couldn't have been passive. That's not a passive personality. Right. And definitely not that all white women have passive personalities, but I felt free in that when I actually read her and I could feel her. I have not, you know, changed laws, but I've been in a position where I, where I had to be a boss. Yeah. And so that I can't, I went from that perspective. This lady does not play. She's gotten it done. Now nobody can tell her she didn't do it and it is affecting <laughs> lives. And I said, there it is. There I need to be is. that person. Yeah. And you yeah. did that. Like, I love that scene because militia, cause it's about the, the, the content of that scene. Like what, militia represented in terms of change it 14 year battle we're talking to get this law changed so we adoptees could see their original birth certificates she may be a white woman she is a white woman and even still what we want to portray and and that was so well done by you is the confidence and you're right it's like a person that is definitely all in unapologetic mm -hmm. all about mm -hmm. work all about getting it done and and that's an energy right like that's not even a sound of your like that's like an energy that's the whole vibe yeah that is the whole vibe right. i get it for me one of the biggest accomplishments on any project is the ease and flow of everyone working together during the production process lydia born to write shares her thoughts about working with eight other people on the audio drama. I said it once in one of our conversations, people, they got the story. It was nice. And you, uh, like, you connected so well. Because, you know, all the other actors have been together for months. Like, they have been working on this for God knows how long. And you, to come in at the end and bond so well... Like that just gave me such joy because um, sometimes it does take a minute to kind of bond together because the actors didn't really know each other. 
we do stuff and we we think we're just moving around and moving about. But no, we have this purpose in life and we may not even see it. I, I never I would have never imagined to be a part of, first of all, a radio drama. This is my first. Well, no, this will be my first national radio drama. Actually, I've written them several times, but for something to just be so heartfelt. So it wasn't hard for me to bond with the people. And I say this with all humility, but anybody that truly knows me by spirit knows that I'm generally for people. I am just a born bred humanitarian. I love people. People generally love me. You generally get that back when you put it out in the universe and God will see that it comes back to you. So that part wasn't hard for me, but you make that easier because you already know, I kind of know what to expect. And that is, <laughs> I won't say perfection, but you take what you do. Like Erica Badu says, she's serious. She's sensitive about her shit. Yeah, yes, ma'am. That's yeah, it. That's, that's me. you. That's me. Uh -huh. I, I am. And I, I respect that about other creatives. In closing, I, well, first of all, you be sure and tell us how everyone can connect with you you know, how they can reach you and what you do, like anything you want to share with them. Awesome. Thank you for that opportunity. You can find me on um, on Facebook as Lydia Cook. You can also find me on Facebook. I have another page called Born to Write Poet on Facebook. Um, I'm on Instagram, born underscore to underscore write. And that's about it for me in the social media as far as social media platforms, but I would love for people to uh, friend me and follow me, follow my work, working on a new book as we speak called When the Bird Lady Flies. I have another poetic CD called When the Bird Lady Flies, and that's already done, so I'm working to get that uploaded on CD Baby. If I can leave anything with your listeners, I would say don't let anybody, anywhere, at any time, tell you what you cannot do don't let anybody anywhere at any time tell you what you should be doing don't let anybody anywhere at any time tell you it can, it's okay for everybody except you that would be my main plight to people to remember me by is that I'm an inspirational poet an encouraging author and artist and I try my best to encourage people to be just a little bit better than they were the day before, no matter their walk of life and no matter their personal struggles, because we all have them. And so I thank you, Jennifer, for the opportunity to be a part of this. I appreciate it. That was beautiful. You are amazing. You are an amazing individual. So your contribution to this project was amazing. I just wanted people to hear from you and know who you are. Thank you for the time with me in this conversation. And and, and we might want to talk to you again. I w and I would be, <laughs> as the old songwriter said, I'm a telephone call away. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jen. Thank you. You will hear from the real life militia in a future episode recorded last month. We had a fantastic conversation about her contribution to adoption reform and her journey as a birth mom in Reunion. Juanita is honest about how she looks at the subject of adoption. Since becoming an advocate for adoption reform and an ally of all adoptees, Juanita appreciates hearing our stories.
I've come to know a loving, empathetic, and woman of God in Juanita. She has been willing to share so much about my Upshaw family. Let's start with January 2012. Wow, my thoughts were, were, wow, is this happening? Wanda told me about you, and I could could see her in you. Yeah, you know, ringing your doorbell, seeing Upshaw on the bell, and knowing that I was most likely in the right place meant a lot, because I had been to two other Upshaw residents, mm-hmm. and they weren't a match, so I was pretty sure I was in the right place. Well, you were. I knew from your birth mother, Wanda, uh, that she had a little little baby girl that had a head full of hair and beautiful skin tone. One thing I'd like to mention is that um, Wanda really didn't know how to process in her mind and emotions um, the reality of being a mother a woman, a nurturer at the age of 16, 17. She was a child herself. Do you think, this just popped in my head, do you think you understood when she wanted to search for me that, did you ever get the impression that she never wanted to give up her baby? I I, I think it wasn't a matter of, of giving her up. I think it was a matter of her putting her in an environment, her hope was that she would be in an environment where you could be nurtured and, and protected and, and, and loved to the fullest extent that children so very well need. I think it was a matter of, it was in your best interest that she felt, and uh, I, I believe even her, her, her parents felt the same thing. I really believe that um, adoption was an option for your well-being. Uh, if anything... What would you do different when Wanda told you the story about me before her passing in 1996? You know, I really wish that we did a recording like we're doing now. And I wish that I had that foresight into the future and took to heart and mind what Wanda told me. I never seen her as, as not being present upon your seeking her out or finding her or vice versa. Yeah. I think you told me you wish you had written down, recorded certain things. And I think that's really important. I, I, as I share my story with the adoption community, certainly there are things I've learned that I think are important. When people give you bits and pieces, maybe journal, write it somewhere, mm-hmm. put it away, because you never know. It won't hurt. At least you'll have it. you rather have it and not need it, then need it and not have it, so. Right, right. What was your relationship like with Wanda? Well, to me, it was very respectful, and I truly appreciated uh, her being that way towards me. Uh, she always treated me nice and kindly, and she treated um, my son, Ronald, very kindly, and that, that meant a lot to me. The Upshaws, they were, they were okay with me as a, as a family. I, I would say they were okay. Yeah, but Wanda was special. I like knowing that she treated Ronald Jr. kindly. When you first shared that with me, it really meant a lot. And I remember when I first laid eyes on him as being my first cousin, I saw the resemblance between him and my son as um, 
cousins, too. So, yeah, I'm glad to know you have good memories of how she was with him. That's 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 cool. Yeah, yeah I think so, too. Tell us about your life journey, your hopes and dreams. Mm. My life has been full of ups and downs, and my journey is constantly moving in the direction of the peace. Peace of mind, um, sound, that's my hope, um, is that I continue building on a sound, a solid relationship with my creator and with people as yourself, which are my loved ones. And I think that's a, that's my fulfillment. Yeah. You've told me before that you're just glad to be here. I'm just glad to be here. <laughs> I am. You know, I am truly glad to be here. And that's, you know, that's an expression I often use because I most appreciate being alive and being uh, able to body and, you know, having mobility, even though I don't really go out a lot because of the COVID. I, but I, I, I enjoy being here and being alive. Juanita is the first to admit that over the last nine years, there was so much she didn't know prior to meeting me. She has learned from the adoption community through the voices of adoptees and encourages us to keep educating people like her. Adoption uh, community needs to realize that they're worth, you know, they're worth everything that life has to offer. And if it means that they want to know, then they should have that you know, that privilege just by being a human being. You being around in some of the circles with the adoption community, with me, I, I just can't help but think you, it, it was eye-opening in many ways when, when you so willingly worked on the film, you know, was were willing to be a part of Gene Strauss's film and a simple piece of paper. We appreciate people that are willing to say, like be allies for the adoption community. And and that to me is what you've always been through these years. And I appreciate that so much. You are very welcome. I have been uh, built up and edified um, and met some very interesting people that I've never would have, never would have happened. By way of you, I've uh, had an exposure to people's inner feelings in a way that I would have I would have never known without experiencing uh, this community um, that you are um, a part of, uh, adoptees. I never would have have um, ever understood a lot of things that I do understand now, uh, and, and and even even things that I have, that I should be careful not to say. You know, adoptees get a lot of things. Uh, some, most, I would think. But there's a there's a component uh, um, there's a part of their life that is so missing and so needed to be uh, in their life. And so I never I never thought about that. You know, I was just seeing the external, you know, um, uh, of adoption through the experiences I had with my neighbors and and um, and people that I knew that were adopted. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that because I do remember our conversations about that. Yeah, sometimes you see all the things, material things. I mean, I, I didn't want for anything material. But at the end of the day, you're here. 
And and so that's what's most important. That's the blessing. <laughs> that's, that's the, the that is that's the, the ultimate blessing. Right. That's the ultimate blessing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the ultimate blessing. By virtue of us being human, we want to know. We want to know who our grandparents are, who our mother, who our dads are. If, 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 if you know, if our mothers don't tell us, we want to know. We want. To, we just. We just people want to know who they are. Yeah, and I just think I just think adoption is is a lot like uh, the laws were for slavery. You know, and and the separation of families, and I think it just kind of sprung off from from you know we'll do it this way. We'll keep people not knowing and reinvent themselves. But what they did, what they did with laws, they played with the lives of children, of babies, and that's what they did. Uh, you know, the land of slave trade. You know, they they took children from their parents and put them on slave ships, and and I think it's just. It's just an offshoot of um, that policy. Um, but, you know, in, in the times that we live in, everything that, that was hidden is being exposed through, the, through laws or through uh, people uh, changing their uh, mindset and their thing, a paradigm shift, so to speak. Well, I just thank you for this opportunity today. This has been great. I, I hope it's been a good experience for for you. I appreciate you so much. You know, I enjoy any time we can have our conversations and just we talk about some of everything, which is always I'm good for me. <laughs> <laughs> like I look forward to each and every time we can engage with one another. I think you're such a smart person. I learned so much from you and and I like the fact that you're such a good listener. Like you want to hear what I have to think. You may not agree. You may not understand. I, I know you say, Bonnie, say that again. <laughs> 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 or or t- what do you mean by that? And um I think that's what it's about. Like I don't I don't want to to not keep learning. I I I want to be a lifelong learner and and I want to be able to see things in a way better than today than I did yesterday. Me too. I agree. I so agree. I, I share your same thoughts. I, I think that I am a good listener, you know, and I, I just want to grow too. I, I feel the same as you do. I, um, maybe that's why our chemistry is so mixed in together. I, I just want to do better and, and, uh, and grow and enjoy the rest of, of my life uh, with peace, you know, peace from above. And, and I, I just, I just share that with you, but I don't know if you can go learn anything from me, but I'm arrested in that. And I, I thank you for saying that. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And you have been the joy in my life. You have been the sister that I wished I had. You, you, you're the niece that I, but I've grown to know, and uh, I, I truly see you as a dear friend, closer than, um, I would say, the blood, <laughs> <laughs> the bloodline, or the DNA. And I wish that um, that if I had known you years back, you know, when I met Smooch, uh, he was a toddler, you would have been maybe four, <laughs> you know, and I wish that... Um, that it would be as it is today. Yeah. 
if you were raised with the Upshaw. I wish that it would it would be a good thing. How do you feel about the story being made into a podcast, an audio drama? I, I feel good about it. I, I think it gives us and adoptees and people like myself a, an opportunity to understand what they what their thoughts are and what their feelings and emotions are. And uh, I think it's a good thing. I, I really do. And I sit right on, keep it going, and uh, who knows what may happen after the podcast. I treasure any and all advocates and allies who support the welfare of adoptees and welcome a conversation about it. Thank you again, Aunt Juanita, for always lending your support to the community. Last, but certainly not least, the real-life Andre, the millennial often narrating the story in the audio drama meant to be, shares with you his perspective as my biological son walking the path of reunion over 10 years ago to connect with my side of our original birth family. Tell the listeners who you are. Uh, my name is Andre Bullock Jr. I'm the son of Jennifer Diane Ghost. Bonnie. <laughs> I like how you um, threw that in. I'm 30 years old. I'm still located in Chicago, South Side. That's my area. So, I'm going to take you back a little bit. Can you remember okay. when I first said that I wanted to search for my original family? Yes. Like 2000, we'll say 2010 maybe. And you and I had a conversation about it. And you kind of shared how you felt then. Do you remember? Yeah, when you first brought it to me that you wanted to look for your biological family. Yeah, how did it make you feel? You were a little hesitant about it. Yeah, I mean, at first I was hesitant. I was hesitant because... I just felt like we didn't need anybody else. Like we just went all this time with just me and you. And I really didn't feel like it was really a point besides the fact that you wanted to know who your bloodline was. And when I started thinking about that part of it, because I knew that that part was important, regardless if we needed them or not, wanted them or not, that wasn't the point. The point was just to know. Right. So, yeah, and I feel yeah. like you made a connection the, the day I opened my original birth certificate. You remember the party? Yeah, you said, yeah, the day you opened it, yep. And you really supported me the whole way. And, and as you know, that meant a lot to me because I didn't know what I was going to be coming up against, you know, like what right. I was going to find. And I think you were very protective of that too. Like you were protective of me possibly finding something out that wasn't so good. Now we're talking about 2012 in Reunion. You know, I've met Juanita and Smooch, and then, you know, we had that party at Leona's. What do you, oh, re- yeah, yeah. What do you remember about that, actually meeting first cousins, Smooch's sons? I remember it being a good feeling to know that this was our blood. Like, this is more people that is our family that got our blood we got the same blood like i remember that being a good subject <laughs> i was just really just that for you like that was it cool to know that they was our family but i was just watching your back the whole time like the only reason i care is because i know it means so much to you it was really, really about know, me man. it was really about yeah, it was something. really about you right yeah i get that you know i only care because you care man 
<laughs> I remember when I found out that Smooch's boys were going to Fernwood Park as little mm-hmm. as little guys, and I remember you you were at the park a lot as well. So I remember thinking, I know you've crossed paths, really in the same area. When you same think of Chicago, area. we were really close. To know that your biological family is that close, but you don't know who they are. That that just seemed like, wow, it's important to know who's who. But it's likely, it's likely that people saw your first cousins mm-hmm. and didn't know that you were related, but, but recognized there was a resemblance. I remember somebody telling, a couple people telling me that. They're like, man, this is a guy over there that looks just like you. Right. And I remember that. I probably think I don't look nothing like them. But people that don't know us, they can see it. Like, people can, like, people see the resemblance, like, Outsiders, they see the resemblance in family like they can tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that mirroring. Right. To be able to look at your siblings or look at your parents or cousins and see parts of yourself in you, I think that's pretty important growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. So what do you think about adoption now? Because I remember there was a time where you, you're like, if I didn't know, I think this is how you put it. If I didn't know you, talk about me, I would want to know who you are. Like if if you were adopted, mm-hmm. you would want to. I mean, you would want to know, right? Yeah, I would. I mean, I I can't even really answer that question as good as somebody that has been adopted because right. yeah, there's no way for me really to know how I would feel because I'm not an adoptee. So it's like. I have my mother and my father. Right. So now I just want to ask you about what you've listened to some of the podcasts and, and tell me how you feel about it. I like the podcast. From what I've heard, it's very professional. It's, it's very informational. It was a good first podcast to me. Like I didn't see any flaws with it. I even like two, three of my friends listened to it and they was like, man, that's deep. So, so you feel? Do you feel comfortable? And and you know, just be honest about me being so public. Oh yeah, man. Oh yeah, I, I really feel like it's bigger than you, mm-hmm. and I really feel like that's why you keep going. Because at first it was about you. At first, I like you trying to help other people. I have no problem with you going public about this and doing nothing but helping people. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you being such a support during those years because it's been over 10 years now and I feel like I had yeah I feel like I've had your support the whole time and um that like you Mm -hmm. have really shown up for me and I just appreciate that so much so Quincy Blackman played your character in the audio drama and Mm -hmm. he has a really nice voice and he's he's maybe he's a millennial he's maybe 34 something like that he's a little Mm -hmm. older than you are but I, I trusted him because I, I thought he would be able to convey, you know, your voice will keep the voice. And, you know, when you went over the whole script and we made some changes and I'm so glad you're like, nope, I wouldn't have said it like that. Or, <laughs> and and um, that was really cool. And, and I, I think Quincy did a great job. And they thought that was actually you. I said, no, that's an actor. But I was hoping that they would be able to hear from you. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so they thought that, you know, his he's playing your character, so they're thinking that's actually that you crazy. playing yourself. Right. Yeah. I mean, he did a good job. That's what I think, and they really liked his voice. He's got a really nice voice, so they like, and they liked that taking the story in that direction, you know, actually having you as a millennial, your character, mm-hmm. talking about this subject. Because, you know, your generation is very different than mine. It is totally different than the 60s. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can wrap it up. And, yeah, is there anything you want to share that I haven't asked you? Just that today is your birthday, and I hope you enjoy it. I hope you have <laughs> The best birthday you ever had, even if you just chill and watch Netflix. I hope it's a great day. I really appreciate it, and I'm glad you gave me a call this morning. Having Andre's support has been important because Search and Reunion is not for the faint at heart, nor should anyone have to navigate the course alone. As a bonus, I've included parts of a conversation with my paternal first cousin, Michelle. She shares how she fondly remembers my birth father, her uncle, as a young child and what life might have been like for us if we grew up together. And you smile just like him. That's how, And he always was smiling all the time. <laughs> you know, that's when one of my fondest memory of him is um, uh, he always made us laugh. As a kid, you know, because we was pretty young, so he would pick us up and swing us around and taking each kid and doing that. And then he would give us a few coins to get some candy. But he was always like fast and going like he would come in and then he would leave. And, you know, so he never kind of sat around a lot. He'll play with us a little bit and then he would just be off and gone. You know, I was dressed nice and he had a lot of girlfriends and it was just, (laughs) he was the fun uncle that just appeared, you know, yeah. And I mean, his clothes were just super sharp. I always thought, oh my God, he dresses so good. (laughs) (laughs) I know when I I first saw a picture of him and you're right, that smile, uh, I saw myself in that smile because I had a gap and I have that same smile. Yeah. And it's so infectious when he smiles, it makes you smile. You know, because they say I have that kind of a distinct smile, too. You know, he would bust out in a smile, and he had those pretty white teeth. And he's your mother's brother. Younger brother. And he's the 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 second. He's the middle child. Yeah, Patty's the youngest, so she's like six years younger Mm -hmm. than my mother. So you are a couple of years younger than me, I think. So I was born in 64, and you were born in 60. And I was born in 61. So you're like the first one. Are you the first grandchild? Yeah, I'm the first grandchild. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) While reading my book, Michelle found herself thinking about her own story of not knowing her biological father. When she describes how her journey intersects with mine decades after our births is nothing short of interesting, emotional, fascinating, and memorable. I want to go back to when you find out at a funeral, that's my dad's funeral, right? Yeah. That you find out who your birth father is. So tell me that story. How did that unfold? Man, that was amazing. But I have these pictures. I still have three of them. And he's on every picture. I didn't know who he was. 
my grandmother was there and she told him to go over there because she told me later she said i told him to go over there this girl has been wanting to know you her whole entire life i told you to get with her because my grandmother said she tried to tell him that different times of my life that it was time for him to come forward she said she tried to do it like at every birthday but he wouldn't do it so he walks over i'm getting food from the buffet (laughs) you know you have to repass right Oh my gosh, he's at the repass. I'm putting like, and he and this man comes behind me and he taps in. So I'm thinking, oh, you're going to get to the food? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, I'll be, you know, he taps me on the shoulder, like, you know, and I said, okay, I'll be finished in a minute. <laughs> I'm getting the potato salad. Right. And I'm getting the plate and he all suave in his suit and everything, you know, nice shoes. Right. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. He says, no. And I said, oh, okay, I'll I just be a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I can and picture me, that moment. I can picture Yeah, it. you know, and I'm just trying to put my plate, you know. <laughs> and I said, I'll just be a second. He's still tapping. <laughs> right. Now I'm he's thinking, becoming annoying. Man. Right. Yeah, and then I said, me and this man must be hungry. <laughs> you know, give me a chance to read. I'm going to move a minute. Right. And then I turn around. He says, no, I don't want no food. I had something to say. And then he just blurted out, I'm your father. And I had turned around to look at him. And I dropped the food. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. It went all over his nice patent leather suit. <laughs> <laughs> the bottom of his pants leg. Everything. And I didn't even stop. And I immediately walked right toward my grandmother. I just had to go find her. Right. I just had to go find her. I didn't, I didn't even stay there. I just dropped the food. I went right to my grandmother. I said, Mommy Jane. That man. I said, he said he's my father. And she said, yes, honey, he is. Mm. And I was like, and I was just standing there, what? Mm. You know, in shock. And she said, yes, he is. Mm. And then then he came back over. He had wiped his, you know, he had wiped everything. And I said, I'm so, then I said, I was sorry about that. Right. You know, it's the only thing I could think of. I didn't know what to say. I was like, I've been waiting for this moment my whole life. In closing, here are two questions received from the listening audience of the audio drama Meant to Be. Was the person Keisha and Craig saw at the park in Act 1 an actual first cousin to Andre? No, but it's my belief that Andre passed his first cousins who frequented the nearby Fernwood Park over a period of several years. Both Keisha and Craig mentioned in the story are fictitious and are merely a representation of people who recognize that they see physical characteristics between those they know and others they come in contact with. Is that your imagination in creating Act 2, Scene 4, between you, your inner child, and Wanda? Yes. I wrote that scene with some guidance from my co-writer, Tony C. Roper. Basically, that is all me imagining what a conversation might go like between Wanda and myself. As for my inner child, that's less imaginative on the page because I often embrace 12-year-old Bonnie. Thank you again for being here, and I hope you'll come back again and again to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. <laughs>